Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. President Trump stunned the world on January 27 when he signed a sudden executive order suspending immigration for 90 days from seven mostly Muslim countries he deemed to have ties to Islamic terrorists. These countries were Syria, Sudan, Somalia, Iran, Iraq, Yemen and Libya. This ban had an immediate effect on people. People were being detained at airports, they were being put on return flights or they were being transported to immigration detention facilities. But this too was met with resistance and over the last couple of weeks we've seen a winding back of these policies in the face of that resistance. The winding back culminated in a legal battle that saw a federal appeals panel last week unanimously reject Trump's bid to reinstate this ban. We started this conversation on Accent of Women last week and as I flagged, the situation is moving very quickly. So some of the comments made by my guest speaker, Suzanne Adderley, may now be out of date. However, a lot of the discussion is about how we as activists should be fighting back and I wanted you, the listener, to hear that conversation. It's important to note too that the travel ban isn't dead in the water. There are still legal options available to Trump. But more importantly, regardless of what happens with the travel ban, we still have a world to win. Picking up where she left off, here's Suzanne Adderley, New York-based political activist, anti-capitalist organiser and human rights lawyer. Suzanne is speaking here about the role that the taxi worker strikes and the political demonstrations have had on raising pressure to wind back the bans. Absolutely instrumental. Without these protests, I mean, these protests, and, you know, you mentioned the taxi worker, um, the taxi workers, right? Well, um, they are an active union here in New York. Uh, they, they, have, they have been, and um, many members uh, of their uh, worker base come from Muslim countries, whether South Asian or Arab or come from, or, or are immigrants. You know, they don't necessarily have to come from Muslim countries or they're from, from immigrants, and they know what it means to come to this country as an immigrant. And so that Saturday, they called for a one-hour strike um, um, against uh, at, at JFK, meaning for one hour they would not pick up any passengers from the JFK airport. And you can imagine how busy the JFK, JFK airport is. And it's, you know, it's a very isolated place and people really depend on these yellow cabs to, um, um, to get transportation. And um, so, and what happened was that Uber which is one of these companies is contributing to this very sort of precarious gig economy, um, you know, that exploits workers and so on. And they um, broke the strike that the New York Taxi Workers Alliance had called for. And as a result, there was also massive sort of backlash against Uber and their company um, for breaking the strike. And, And two days ago, yesterday was announced, two days ago it was announced that the Uber executive who had been assigned to uh, Trump's advisory board has stepped down um, as a result of that pressure. Um, and, um, and there's also sort of agreeing to compensate for drivers who um, 
might have to take off of work because of the way that the the ban is affecting their families. Um, but you know, the protests and then sort of the immediate um, kind of uh, follow up at the airports by lawyers and many, many of who just would show up at the terminals with signs saying, I'm an immigrant lawyer, do you need help? I'm an immigration lawyer, do you need help? And people who speak Arabic and Farsi and Urdu were going to the airports with the same intention. Like, I'm here, does anybody need help? Does anybody need help with translation? And then it, it very quickly, it, it became this whole sort of system that was set up in terminals a- around the country. And then on, on another level, you had also lawyers who were immediately initiating litigation against the ban in federal courts um, based on numerous different arguments calling it unconstitutional. And the first um, success on that part came that first Saturday evening um, when there was a temporary ban put, uh, a temporary restraining order put on, um, on Trump's ban, Trump's executive order, um, that applied throughout the U.S. And then there was a second uh, ruling the same day or the day after in Boston. And, and then you began to see similar rulings in, in, in federal courts in, in, in different um, cities like Virginia and, and others and um, states like in Virginia and others. And some of these rulings uh, had immediate effect nationally and some did not. And, but whatever ruling came out of uh, New York and Boston, uh, it wasn't strong enough that that the Department of Homeland Security were complying by it. And uh, the Customs and Borders agents, agents who were at these airports were really kind of, for mo- the most part, were refusing, to, were refusing to comply with the orders that came from, from these federal courts. And, you know, we know that actually the Customs and Border Agency Union was the f- one of the first unions to support Trump, along with the police unions, et cetera. So, you know, we're used to this kind of very sort of uh, criminalizing behavior from the from the, from from our border agents, uh, but just yesterday there was another ruling that came out of Seattle that was initiated by the Attorney General of the State of Washington. It was on behalf the State of Washington on behalf of the State of Minnesota, and I haven't read that ruling yet. But that ruling apparently was strong enough to prompt the Department of Homeland Security to make a statement just this morning, saying that they're going to halt. Um, the executive order by President Trump as a result of the Seattle ruling. So we have a moment now, um, you know, where we, you know, we can maybe get um, more people uh, out of uh, detention if they're being detained. We have a moment where people might be able to travel, but we kind of have to look at what's happening um, carefully. But these, these, these uh, restrictions, Restraining orders or these like temporary these these um these halts on the executive order are temporary because there has to be sort of a complete sort of like constitutional review of the order uh, before we can actually um, make a decision that that it's illegal and, and and that we can no and that the government can no longer sort of implement these bans um, because you know if, if they can if it continues to be legal that means there are thousands maybe tens of thousands of people here in the United States who came legally on various visas who are now illegal 
Um, and we know what that's going to mean, along with other changes in the immigration policy. We know whether or not this ban, can, this temporary restraining order, like it becomes permanent, or whether or not we can push back on the executive order. We know that it's, what we're still facing is going to be an escalation of immigration enforcement against all immigrants. And, you know, even with all the scrambling around that's been happening and all the fear as a result of these bans, the truth of the matter is that um, under the Obama administration, almost 3 million people were deported. We have the largest, I think the largest immigration detention system in the world. Um, with at least like more than 200 immigration detention centers, not to mention a system set up to send immigrants um, to federal prisons. You know, there's certain designated uh, number of beds in federal prisons for immigrants. And, um, you know, we have um, a pretty sort of uh, humiliating and brutal uh, immigration enforcement system here that we only expect to get worse. Uh, um, and... You know, and, and it's it's within a system, a very unjust system where, you know, migrants will be welcome here as long as their labor can be exploited. Uh, but once, you know, but simultaneously, so, so, so they're brought in here, whether legally or illegally, so their labor could be exploited, whether in agriculture or in, in you know, in, in the restaurant industry or, or working as nannies or working as daycare, but they're simultaneously being intimidated and humiliated and abused and always under the threat of detention and deportation. And when I say this, I mean this for all immigrants, like, you know, including, you know, the millions who come across the U.S.-Mexico border. I, I want to talk about the the ongoing effects of this particular... You talked about how the the ban actually automatically makes a whole bunch of people in the, in the U.S. right now illegal, and I wanted to flesh that out a little bit because um, some of the... Some of the conditions on whether it's green cards or some of the visas that people are on, um, the conditions include exiting the country, getting your visa renewed and coming back into the country. So no doubt there are going to be a bunch of people who are sitting on those visas whose time is coming up where they need to exit and return who are going to refuse to exit. So all of those people are going to become illegal, I'm presuming. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, you talked about the exploitation of those migrant workers. What I can see emerging is a similar situation to the one that we have in Malaysia in particular is what I'm thinking of, where you've got a bunch of people who are illegals because they're not on the right visa or it's expired or they haven't complied that are working for next to nothing because now it's known that there are a bunch of people in this very well, undocumented, that's what they're called across Asia, undocumented workers. So now you've got a bunch of undocumented workers in the US. And so this driving of wages down is is uh, the fallout of this particular um, policy of, of the government. Yes. I mean, and then, but that's always been the case here. Um, and the, it's the driving of the wages down to the point in some circumstances of... Um, almost slave-like conditions in some sectors, um, um, in particularly in, in, in agriculture, where they're not, where because of, of their illegal status, or because of, uh, and because of maybe how they were um, taken across the border, or because of where they ended up, you know, they, uh, and they, they might be working in harsh conditions 
but they can't necessarily leave, right? For very low wages, but they can't necessarily leave uh, because it would mean being detained or being deported back to whatever situation that, that they came from. Um, and, um, and, you know, and, you know, it, it's, it's similar. I mean, you know, we have situations where, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, we have, uh, movements in the U S where you have immigrants who are a mix of people who are here, um, under some kind of status or maybe under, under no status at all. Uh, you know, and people have fought for uh, worker protections to include those who might not have status or might be undocumented, or, or um, and uh, you know, and with the right amount of uh, organizing and the right amount of of like uh, building up of power among you know organized workforces in all of these sectors, um, wages and working conditions can improve. Right, regardless of whether or not the workers are undocumented or whether they're documented, um, uh, because you know people have fought for a long time um, for you know the the right to a minimum wage to also apply uh, to undocumented workers and also for um, the right to sue your employer for back wages also applies to undocumented workers. And these laws, these pro sort of like worker laws, these worker protection laws apply to workers who are undocumented. But, you know, you know in order to sort of uh, implement those laws and, 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 and utilize those laws in a way that can be beneficial for undocumented workers, you know, we have to sort of be able to... Um, they have to be able to organize. They have to be able to work to build power on some level. And a challenge to doing that is the behavior of um, immigration enforcement, which in some circumstances, in some places like Arizona, has extended to local police forces. And this, this, is, this has been something somewhat of a huge debate in the U.S. Um, in, in uh, you know, the past decade, whether or not... Um, you know, local police forces um, should be or can be sort of doing the job of, of federal immigration enforcement because constitutionally, you know, if you, on on its face, they shouldn't be. But you had you had examples of um, certain you know states in, in the U.S. where there's a lot of you know contention um, against uh, the population of undocumented undocumented immigrants, which is very much sort of based. In uh, in uh, you know a history of racism in those states, you have you've seen legis like laws being passed in that state or policies being passed in that state, you know where they're employing local police forces to racially profile people and check their immigration status in the places of work in 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 their workplaces or in the places where their kids go to school or just on the street, and that's something like for example. It, you know, that's something that happened in Arizona and there was this sheriff who was very famous, you know, for his uh, kind of for his racism and for him sort of pushing this policy of using um, local police forces to, in, to enforce immigration. And, you know, there was a very, very um, strong and powerful, you know, movement of grassroots folks. Of, of immigrants in Arizona who pushed back against him and his policy. Something that like, you know, uh, you know, one of those really sort of important significant successes 
that happen in a, in a very localized place. It's not always heard about, you know, nationally, it's not, not always heard about globally, but it's a, sort of very significant, you know, in, in being able to sort of like push back on all of these levels of exploitation. Um, it's hard to look at the situation in the US and see some kind of resolution that's going to make a difference for the world. I mean, people are talking about all kinds of things like Trump being impeached one way or another, Trump being removed from office, that kind of thing. I'm not convinced that any of those options are going to change the situation materially for workers of the world. What, as an activist based there, and you kind of straddle you know, the reformist kind of play within the system, use laws to produce outcomes sphere of things, as well as the anti-capitalist actually just change the system entirely kind of aspects of, of activism. What do you see as the way forward? How, how do we win from where we are now? You know, I think that that's a question that we have to keep evaluating over and over. You know, I've learned, or my mind has learned to um, open itself up to imagining both the worst and the best. <laughs> you know, honestly, you know, I, I remember I was an organizer in the post-9-11 era. Um, and to tell you the truth, you know, uh, at that point, in my mind, I, I would say to myself, there was no way that Bush could invade Iraq. He didn't have a legitimate reason to do it, right? Um, and I was, you know, and, you know, I was wrong. And and I didn't, and also, you know, we thought that, like, the year or the two years after the war on terror was declared, that that was going to be the worst period of time uh, to be an Arab or Muslim in the U.S. And in fact, we were wrong. Because even 10 years later, even before Trump was elected, we knew that the situation just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, and whether it's in the U.S. or whether it was in Iraq or, uh, or, you know, throughout the Middle East or throughout the world, the fact of the matter is at that point in time, in 2000, 2000 2001, um, I didn't have enough of imagination to understand how badly things could get, right? But I also did not have enough of imagination to foresee also what we were, you know, the movements that would also arise, right? Whether it was, you know, the removal of Mubarak, as much as horrible as the situation is now, that was a pretty momentous period of time, right? And, um, or, you know... And not, you know, I mean, I know people talk about Occupy here a lot. That was a very significant period of time. But we've seen also amazing things happening in the prisons in the United States. You know, you had a huge um, hunger strike uh, the same year, 2011, of like Occupy and the, and the Arab Uprising, 2011 to 2012. You had a huge and hugely significant hunger strike among prisoners in the state of California. We had also this past year, we had a strike um, among prisoners across the nation who basically refused to work because prison, prisoners in the U.S. are being exploited um, for their labor, also in slave-like conditions, you know, making products that many, uh, many of us consume, right, in these so-called organic ethical stores, et cetera, clothing. We, you know, 
we've seen a lot of sort of important periods of uh, important movements come about. And now, and now we're here, like, it's 2017, right? And here we're here in the U.S. and we're, we're having protests every day. You know, we have to, to the point where we have to put out a calendar that says, this is what's happening today. You know, and in, in, especially in a city like New York or Chicago, there might be multiple things happening at once, right? And that should, at one level, gets us very optimistic and gets us very happy. You know, seeing people uh, support a politician like um, Bernie Sanders and to question the Democratic Party and, and their role in this country for a very long time makes us also feel very optimistic. But at the same time, you know, being in these spaces, you know, we're, I'm reminded that a lot of the forces that are out here, right, whether they be these nonprofit organizations that are responding to the ban, whether they be um, those that are calling, you know, for uh, to stop Islamophobia or to stop racism or those who are calling for higher wages or those who are calling for, um, uh, you know, a better work week or better conditions or for a fairer comprehensive immigration policy. Um, the fact of the matter is that these movements are still very much reliant on electoral politics and the electoral politics of the Democratic Party. And, um, and I just don't think that there's sufficient acknowledgement of the fact that the Democratic Party really, really was a huge factor in getting us into this mess at the same time, right? Now, so we have this humongous opportunity ahead of us right, to really, you know, be part of the United Front and then maybe come out of it with a movement unlike anything we've seen in decades. One that's really questioning, you know, the policies of capitalism, of, of the one that's really questioning, um, you know, U.S. foreign policy. Uh, but, you know, in but in order to do that, you know, we we really do have to, you know, compete with a lot of groups and organizations that, you know, continue to have, you know, as I said, this alliance to the Democratic Party and this alliance to liberal politics. You know, we it's not enough to resist Trump. You know, we have to be able to continue to resist the system that made him possible, right? And, um. And whether or not, you know, in the way to do that, I think is on one level, you know, work with this United Front. On another level, you know, continue to critique it. And I, I think in, in most conversations like this, people would expect me to say something like, we need to build an organization of the revolutionary left. We need to build the party of the revolutionary left. But honestly, to be quite honest, in my opinion, the you know, the, the left is a little bit weak in this country, right? And you know there and you know there are a lot of people who, you know, even if if they believe that, they, they don't necessarily know what that means, and they don't necessarily um, feel that this partly you know all these so-called sort of left revolutionary parties, which are, you know, which maybe might be growing now. There's not necessarily a feeling of um, well, I might, you know, I fit in that party or I fit in that party or I belong to that party. I want to join in that party. So I think what has to happen is there has to be a reinvention. 
there's a ha there has to be a reevaluating of what the left in the United States actually is, right? And we need to stop uh, arguing over things like identity, like you know, identity politics, and or um, start stop arguing over things like you know our um, you know because you know there's a, there are divisions among the left around things like Syria, around things like how much. Uh, is about white supremacy or how much is about capitalism. And all those, all those arguments are important and we need to have them, but there has to be a united front of the left <laughs> before we can really get the most out of the, the, the larger united front. That was Suzanne Adderley, New York-based activist, concluding our discussion about President Trump's travel bans and, more importantly, how we, the international working class, can win in a time of massive political repression worldwide. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, that's 3cr.org.au, and that's the digit 3, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I look forward to your company again next week.